Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Thanks for checking out this feed of my favorite interviews and best guests over the last seven years. Whether it's your first time or you're already in a deep dive, make sure you head to BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Again, that is BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com. Enjoy. been waiting for this for like five years <laughs> you even came to a grantland anniversary party yeah and i was like i gotta get you on a podcast yeah. you seemed mildly relatively interested not really then i saw you last year and it seemed more realistic and now you're here Kevin. Well, it was, yeah the, the the first one was a party so you're kind of going let's say also understand i was like raised with wolves because it's like <laughs> What's a podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can tell at the anniversary. Yeah. I don't we, know if we're going to like drink something. <laughs> I don't know what, what's a pod. I mean, there's you know, there's a whole bunch of nomenclature, some you know, with with stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, and you go, I'm I'm here to name my kids. What what is that? So podcast was really I'm not sure. You basically did a podcast at my house at the anniversary party because it was like five of us and we were just asking you questions. Yeah. And then at the end, I was like, this is what a podcast would be like. We, we just oh, record this. Yeah. Well, that was worth it. That was worth it. No, and the dinner was, I knew we were, I knew we were headed for each other. So. Yeah, it was going to happen. Yeah. It was bound to happen. And you, you live outside LA, so you I don't do. come in that often. You've uh -huh. been with Santa Barbara like forever? Yeah, I went out, well, I went out there 15 years ago. I, you know, I, I, I married a second time and, um, you know, sometimes women, they really help you with things. I, I would, it was a beach pad. And uh, I bought it between Revenge and um, Field of Dreams. Like, yeah. I had a nightmare experience up there. You know, I had four days in between these movies. Long story. But uh, where I stayed, my kids were in rose bushes. They were in all kinds of... It's like, this wasn't relaxing at all. And I kind of made my first movie star thing. I, I, I called up a realtor and I said, uh, um, hey, I, I, gotta, I, I, I need to see property on the beach. And the guy goes, hey, I want to see houses. And I said, I don't want a railroad. I don't want a road. I want to, like, walk on the beach. And they go, yeah. when do you want to see this? And I said, I'd like to see it today. <laughs> and um, and they, they said, well, well, we can't do that. But 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 let me look at some listings. Can, can you go tomorrow? I said, yeah, we'll go tomorrow. I bought that place uh, that same day and uh, looked at five and bought it just it was I could flex where I never could flex before in my yeah. life financially. I said I I need this and started to go ever since. And when I um, finally met my my second wife, we would go up there, and she did this really simple thing. She said, um, "Why do why do we uh, why are we going back to L.A. on Sunday night? Why are we doing that?" Yeah. I go, I go, well, because I, I, I work. She goes, well, do you have work tomorrow? I said, no, but I, I have to do meetings. She said, what kind of meetings? And I'm going, well, I, you know, I have like a you know, meet. Yeah, I got to keep things going. She goes, she goes, well, don't you think those same people would come up here? Oh, yeah, because you're just, pretty powerful at I, that point. Well, it, but, but she, you, you know, your power is always in if you think that's what you think. I mean, I yeah. never felt like I could flex. Suddenly now I can flex. I kind of hate that personality to begin with. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't like I don't like that to begin with. I always thought I kind of had power, just the power to say no. But the but the thing that she did coming into my life was, you know, if you're conservative, you think that you have something to do on Monday when if you're brought up in a blue-collar background. Well, I, I go to work, and she goes— she just kind of opened my eyes, like the scales came off. And she did it really gently. And, and it was like, 
why are we going back? She goes, just because you think you're supposed to be back on Monday. Because I grew up in a family where he had one week vacation, and then my dad worked there 20 years. And he got it the second week. Yeah. And you are go to back to work on Monday. I remember that. I go, wow, we're in Yosemite. Why are we going? But we, we had to because that's what my dad did. And she looked at me, and she goes, why don't we stay till Tuesday? And we did. And we started where she kind of, I mean, I should have been old enough to think for myself, but it took her to kind of do that. And then, and then when we got married, we, we moved up there and we've been there for 15 years. And, and I wake up on the ocean every day. I was flipping channels two weeks ago and night shift was on with Michael Keaton and Henry Winkler, yeah. which is one of my favorite eighties movies and was the movie that made Michael Keaton a star. Yes. You're in this movie. Was, You're in the morgue. There's a big party in the morgue after they have yeah. all these call girls. And there's Kevin Costner. Right. Um, one of the frat guys um, helping somebody do like a beer chug or something. Yeah. This was like 1982. It was. It was, was that your first break? It was. Well, it, not so much. My first, I, I'm, I, I tell you, my first break was when I finally started to listen to myself. And when you co come from a conservative background, you're always, you know, kind of in a pleasing mode. You know, want yeah. to rock the boat. My brother was in Vietnam. Last thing I wanted to do was be a pain in the ass. To thing. So I kind of grew up playing by the rules, playing by the rules, going to go that particular direction. And one day I, I, I thought I, re I really needed to think for myself. Now, most people listening, as a good like, gee, Kev, I, we all think for ourselves. But I didn't sometimes. I wanted to please. Yeah. And uh, – I knew I needed to get out of that business and, and chase my own thing. So that was probably the biggest break I ever had in my life was I actually had an internal conversation with myself. I said, you can't just be pleasing everybody the rest of your life. You have to do what you know you can do, yeah. even though no one – and and go that direction. But did to, you know you wanted to be an actor or you were no, just a handsome guy who if, knew you should no, do something? No, but I, I knew I was a storyteller. And if, if I kind of retrace the breadcrumbs of my life, I see, you know, I grew up doing music in the Baptist yeah. church. I grew up doing poetry. I grew up writing stories. So if I look back, but the reality was I never, I thought people that were on the screen were born on the screen. I didn't yeah. compute that you could just do something. I also came from the background that if you're going to do something, you'd have been taking drama in high school. And I said, well, the people that did drama in high school were nerds. I yeah. didn't like that department. <laughs> I didn't want to hang out of it. I went to Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. I found myself want the breadcrumbs again. I wandered into that theatrical department. Everybody was barefoot. Everybody smoked cigarettes. Everybody sat cross-legged on the floor. It was a very bohemian thing. And I thought, I'm not interested in that either. That kind of, you look the part. Yeah. And so I kept brushing up against it, been, being pulled back away from it. But finally, when I looked back, I said, I, I can do this. I, I like this storytelling thing and I'm going to, I'm going to burn my ships. I'm, I'm burning my ships. I'm so the, bi the big show was then your next big break, well, but that, then you get cut out. You get cut out. But I want to go back to that thing you mentioned about um, uh, night shift because there's something kind of interesting happened there. Yeah. I, uh, um, I was asked to go down and read. There was a movie being cast in Hollywood, and uh, I was a stage manager at Raleigh Studios. And I was asked if I could go, and I said, well, you know, I, I said, and they go, look, you'll get your SAG card. I was having a hard time getting my SAG card. Yeah. So they said, if you go read, it was, it was for Flashdance. I read oh, opposite wow. every girl in town that was up for that role. The most beautiful girls, young girls, and girls that we all know today yeah. came through there. Demi Moore, 
uh, Sean Young, all these different people. I mean, you just keep going right down the list. And I read, I read opposite, but I, but what you have to understand is I was glad I was doing that every day. It was a scene where I was getting slapped the shit out of. And, and um, Michael Nury, who ended up playing the part, uh, I was never intended to play the part, but the big deal was I got 325 bucks. It was, it was scale. I'd never made that kind of money. Yeah. I was working at Raleigh studios for $3 and 50 cents an hour. And so I got my SAG card, the thing that I had been wanting. And it's really funny in life, you know, just, you know, what, you know, if you get your SAG card, you, you know, everybody goes, well, do a commercial. Goes, well, it's not that easy. You, yeah. you have to do it. Actually it was Francis where I got it. But the reality was because I had my SAG card, I could do that reading. And then right after that, somebody said, they just saw me and they go, hey, we're, you and be, we need some extras and we got to pay him SAG. I did the Netflix thing. I did Francis, or I did night the shift. night yeah. shift thing. And then a day later, they were shooting Francis with Jessica Lange and Sam Shepard on yeah, the same line. Yeah, that's a big movie. And I, they, were, they needed another SAG that maybe he's going to say something, maybe he's not. I don't even know my own biography anymore. But the reality was I probably know within, it better than you. Within five days, I had done uh, night shift, table for five, and um, and and Francis. Francis all for SAG. And I just I just kept going 360 bucks, 360 <laughs> bucks, 360 bucks. It was like four days of it. And it was a big deal for me. Yeah. It was a really big deal. Did you think the big chill, you thought you were going to be in that movie with flashback scenes and stuff, right? Which you filmed. Yeah. I thought I would be. And at the end of the day, it, it didn't make it, you know. Um, uh, it, I think it, you're right. You lived on in YouTube. Yeah. I think there's some deleted yeah. costs. But everything YouTube. happened for me in that particular movie that needed to happen. I was around the right guy and the right actors at the right time. Wally Nasita, probably the most important not the most important. That's a that's a weird title, but she's a casting director. Yeah, she's tough, really tough. I didn't figure a person like her would even like me, but she was a force of will for me. And in Lawrence Kasdan had just come off the uh, uh, body heat, and now he's doing the big chill. And um, you know, a lot of times a studio has to approve everybody. Larry was going to. And had any? Didn't he rate Raiders too? Like he, yeah, he, he was. He was. He wrote Continental Divide, Raiders, yeah. and Empire. Yeah. So he was. Uh, his trajectory is like this. But he was. He was it. And he, he really, you know, was incredible. And it, so now, he's doing Body Heat. Was just blew people away. It was so good. Yeah. Uh, now he's doing the big show, and he's casting all the the young actors that are really, you know, out of New York, out of Juilliard. And he had to run those all by the studio, but there was one part that didn't have to run by the studio. It was just could be him. And at least that's what I was told. And Wally kept saying this guy, this guy, and he gave me the part. And um, everything I kind of based a lot of what I do came out of that experience. So not being in the movie, people don't understand. I didn't look at my movie as a, one and done situation. I mean, I guess if I was in some state and a movie came in like the circus and they said, Hey, do you want to do these lines on the street corner? And now I take everybody to theater and the yeah. line's not in there. Maybe my career is never, but I had a bigger idea about what was going to happen. And when I was cast in that movie, I actually knew at that moment, everything had happened. Yeah. Regardless of what happened with that movie, everything that needed to happen for me at that point, did well and more importantly Kasdan liked you and decided to put you in a movie he did he put me in a second one he put me in Silverado but it was 
the, the moment I got the part, I knew my life had changed. Not the moment I filmed it. Yeah. Not the moment I went down the red carpet. Not the moment. It's like, listen, people can look at a game and tell when it's lost. True. People can look at a season and tell when it's over. You know, people can look at a moment. And I, I kind of choose to look, you know, at things really athletic. I even direct with a chalkboard sometimes. If I get into a big action scene, yeah, I, I get a chalkboard out. And so you got to be here when this explosions happen. This is where you got to be. You're like Belichick. Yeah, this is where you have to be, because most people, when I realize when you're looking at them and they're giving you chin boogies, their heads going up and down, they're really saying, "Quit looking at me. Don't talk to me. I don't know what you're saying." Right. But they're doing that, and so when that bomb goes off and they don't go, and you think, "What the heck happened here?" I was really clear with them. So I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm getting a chalkboard. When that goes off, you're here. Yeah. And then when his head goes up and down, there's a visual. He's not frightened. But a lot of times, young actors or whatever, they're doing this, but they're they're not getting. They're just thinking, don't look at me anymore. Yeah. And you move off. They move off. You, so Silverado, I remember that one. But the one when I, the first movie I remember seeing you in was American Flyers. Yeah. People think Breaking Away is the best bi bicycle movie ever. That's that's a whole. It's it's the consensus. I'm an American Flyers guy. Interesting. I just love that movie, yeah. and it was on cable for like two straight years. Yeah, and that's how I saw it. It was just on HBO and HBO and Two when you're, over and, and over when you're again. On detention and being oh, kept yeah. in a room. You, you know, you're, you're like Papillon when you walked out of there. You know, ten. Remember when yeah. he took that extra oh, step? Yeah. Remember he one, two, three, four, and then he went. Five. <laughs> right. That was a great moment in that movie. That, yeah. That, that, that thing, it really, that's like one of those things when a writer hits something so perfectly that you can't explain life in prison and then taking that extra step was like, you know, I, I love the poetry of stuff like that. So you were like the, one of the best bicyclists in the world was the gimmick, but you were, you were, dying yeah yeah i yeah and you were like in crazy shape and the bike scenes are like incredible yeah. in that movie and they, it, there's what was it called like the hell on the something yeah hell uh, hell shooting, in the west hell in the west they're shooting helicopter yeah. shots and like you're doing all those stuff and you're in like crazy shape and that was that movie was successful but i think coming out of that yeah. people are like all right that guy's somebody i'm a i'm a breaking away fan i mean yeah it's a great movie i'm a breaking away fan i'm like a you know it's like I, I thought that was great. But the writer was the same writer, the same writer who wrote Breaking Away. Oh, wrote, yeah. Yeah. And what was his name? Steve Tesich? Tesich, yeah. Tesich, yeah. Tesich. And, and we lost him right away about two years after that. But that oh. guy, I think, would have been a friend for life. There was something about him that was um, really, I really liked him. He was a real deal. Well, when people, you know, you're obviously the goat for sports movie actors. You've been in what, six? Could be, yeah. American Flyers always gets left out. Yeah. They always they always go drafted. Yeah, they you've been in like six or seven pancake eating. <laughs> well, draft day came around because they yeah. actually. It had, I want to talk about that in a second. No way out was when it all took off, right? No way out was a movie right after Silverado. I had been called by Orion. They want to have a meeting with me, so I went and talked with a guy named Eric Pleskow. Yeah, it was four guys that really ran Orion: Mike Medavoy, Bill Bernstein, Arthur Krem, and and Eric Pleskow. And they'd seen Silverado, which was a, a catchy movie. Yeah. I had a scene-stealing kind of part. You can see it on paper. It's like, you know, a lot of people go, oh, that person stole stole the movie or whatever. That can happen on Broadway a lot with really cagey actors. In film, it's on paper already. Yeah. You can see, unless you're just a dummy, you go, <laughs> I can, you can steal this movie. 
And, and but you're not supposed to steal. You're working with everybody. You can tell what the flashy role is. Silverado was all of that for me. That was a. And, Did and you think the, about that when you started writing stuff like that, how creating roles like that for people? No, I, I yeah. You think about it. You just know it. But you know, you, you want that to happen. When I'm a leading man. I need people to do the dance. I've always embraced the idea of somebody stealing or seeing stealing things because I know where I stand. I know how yeah. it works. And uh, But that particular movie uh, I knew had that kind of juice on it. And so I get a call from Orion. So let's come. We'd like to talk to you about movies, you know. And, and they pointed out some movies to me and all of them I didn't really, really care for. And I said, I said but if you really want to do something, I did read a movie that I liked. And they said, what was it? And I said, it was this movie over at Warner Brothers called Finish With Engines. And they said, what? I said, it's, 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 it's really good. I said, I'd do that movie with you. And so they read it and they liked it. Finish With Engines is a naval term for shutting down the engines. You know, yeah. those, you see on the Titanic, you see all that full ahead, one third, those brass things. Yeah. Well, at the very bottom of it in the naval terms is the last thing. It says Finish With Engines when you turn them off. Right? That became No Way Out. Oh, wow. So it was a movie I had found and uh, and said to them, I'll make this movie. And so they did. And that movie came out really well, but they did a they did an interesting thing. That movie was shot before Untouchables. And so I went right from No Way Out to Untouchables. And what happened was Orion was not, it was called a mini-major, kind of smaller movie, although they were making Oscar movies. Yeah. They didn't have the kind of dough that the big studios had. And so they looked at it and they go, we're going to let Untouchables come out first. And then I came out. They held it and then came out about two months later. Oh, wow. Out. I don't – I feel like now looking back, I always thought No Way Out came out first, but I it guess you're right. It was shot first. Yeah. But they but they played – and I and I was thinking, what's going on here? Well, they, well they're going to let that go. Oh, all right. Well, I like No Way Out. I think it will work. But they played that and used the, the drum roll that came with that movie – and rolled into No Way Out. So they played a they played an interesting chess game with that movie. And No Way Out's one of those movies. It's always on cable still, even all these years later. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those movies that is always going to work. Yeah. The spy thing with the twist at the end, and it's just well, I met somebody. Somebody. I met murdered. Sean Young on that Flashdance thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I met Sean Young, and I thought this girl is classically beautiful. This girl looks like a girl from the '40s. You know what I mean? Like you know those black and white traditional headshots she looked she looked like that and i re, i remembered her and i and uh i mean people thought she was going to be an a plus lister at some yeah, point she's, yeah, she was she's, a little too yeah, wacky right didn't always go the way she probably wanted yeah but, but she was perfect for us and uh, she was perfect in that movie and uh, you know so but i but um and then in untouchables you're in with De Niro and connery and all of a sudden you go from four years you get cut out of Big Chill yeah. and now you're in a movie with De Niro and Connery. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that was, that was, and and then and then at that point I knew I was going to direct and, you know, people were thinking, I didn't direct yet, but I was already headed that way because I worked at Raleigh Studios down here on Bronson, you know, right across from yeah. Vermont. That's what I knew I was going to do. And sometimes people said, well, you know, you, you know, you know, well, you're moving kind of quick. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I've been waiting forever to do this. Because this I happened didn't, a little I didn't older. Emerge, yeah, you. I didn't emerge as yeah. an 18-year-old. I, I didn't have that moment, that risky business moment of going across and, you know, being, it was later. But that was a function of me deciding in my senior year in college that this is what I was going to do. You know, they always say that about celebrities, that the mo the age you become famous is the age you're trapped at. 
And if you become famous when you're older, it's a huge advantage. I think Clooney said, I think this is like a Clooney thing. Yeah. Because Clooney was always like, the best thing that ever happened to me is when everything hit for me. I was like 29, yeah. like 31. That's kind of where it hit. That's kind of where it hit hit for me. And and um, and you wanted earlier. Trust me. Yeah, you yeah, think yeah. you're deserving of it. You think you're better than everybody else that's out there. You you can't figure out why it's not whatever. But it's it's a bigger thing. But as I was working at Raleigh, I was always thinking I'm I'm going to direct. So what happened was as as this kind of my trajectory was moving the way it was moving. I had. That was in my mind. You're thinking like this is all leading to me getting to That's direct right. my own movie. Yeah. What What was your experience with fame? As it like ballooned all of a sudden, at you went from you're just walking down the street. And, yeah. I and now all of a sudden you're fame, like this guy. First, people are staring at you. Know, I it's funny. I, I I one of the first things I went to. I was asked to by Mike Metavoy. He said, "Would you? I want. You, I'm going to go to this lifetime. He was busy. He'd have to go to all these functions around. I didn't even know the terms of things. In fact. On the night of my Oscar, I didn't go to Spago's or any of these places, and I think I pissed a lot of people off. But I had no idea that you were supposed to. Yeah, I people have no idea that I didn't really even know about the world except that I just wanted to tell stories. Yeah, I didn't know the the culture of it. I didn't know the whole thing that that you make the rounds. I didn't know what was going to happen with our movie. So I got a restaurant with a hundred people that 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 worked on the movie and and got 60, 70 tickets for the Oscar and said, well, we'll be together. So I never made the lap. I would, and people are like, that fucking cost Yeah, What a prima donna. I had no idea. I was sure they weren't going to let my 50 friends in. Right. And and uh, But I didn't know that that was a thing that you did. And so, you know, it's really, really, really strange. I forgot where we were at. We were we were basically like when when the trajectory fame, just yeah, yeah. flipped. Well, it, you know, I I think maybe what George was saying too. It's like I wasn't that impressed. I was just anxious to keep working. Yeah, that's where I was playing. That's how I played myself out. But the first time um, I was saying that I went to a function, Mike Metavoy asked me. And he said, "Hey, I'm going to go to this Lifetime Achievement Award." And I had no idea even what that was. I know I must have lived in a cave, like I was saying. And so I, I go to the the Beverly. Not the, the Hilton or something, right? Yeah. Where they do a lot. Golden Globes. Are, and it was for Gregory Pack. And, yeah, I knew who he was. And yeah, I yeah. loved who he was. And I remember walking in and the bulbs going crazy, flashing. I mean, blinding. And I walked in and, and uh, I, I don't think No Way It Out had come out yet. And not a camera went. Not a camera went. But I went in and watched one of the great ones, one of the, the greatest of all, for sure. Uh, he really is. And uh, that was impressive to me. And four or five women who'd worked with him during the course of his career stood up and talked. And that part, I, I, I'm kind of in love with the, the poetry that our business can be. Not a, not, it's not always necessarily is. I, I love the, I'm a romantic about what, you know, we can do and what we can be. Was there some point where you just felt like you could get any movie you wanted? Because everybody has that run when they yeah. become like red hot. Did yeah. you have word like projects just getting thrown at you? No, they were they were being. You thrown, didn't know which one know? to do and all that. Well, stuff? listen, you know, I I, um, uh, I postponed dances because I didn't I didn't have my ending right. Yeah, I I didn't have it right, and I I didn't want to shoot, and then um, and I so the movies I put in front of it were. Field of Dreams and Revenge. And because I waited, because I knew that the ending wasn't right, 
I watched really, really carefully, uh, much probably more than I, I was, I was always educating myself, but in a way the gun had gone off and I go, I'm going to be directing this time next year. Yeah. And I really was watching close. Um, and so people, we skipped Bull Durham though. Huh? We skipped Bull Durham though. Didn't it go Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, yeah. Revenge, yeah. and then Dances? Yeah, I was, but but I really focused on, uh, yeah, the, the Field of Dreams wasn't supposed to happen. I, you know, um, it just wasn't supposed to happen. I, uh, it was a movie that was um, going to go the same time as Revenge. And, and basically, Revenge just kept getting postponed, postponed. And I finally, you know, I, I just said to them, look, I read this little movie about the corn. And uh, I really like it. And if you don't sort this out, I'm going to do that. And it was a Ray Stark, a legendary producer, a tough guy. He said, I'll sue you. And um, I said, I know, I know that's that's kind of what comes out of your mouth. And, uh, and, 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 and reminded him at some point that he was a smart guy. Aren't you a smart guy? Yeah. And I said, you need to figure this out because you stretched me too much. So I did those both of those particular movies, and that's when I – came to dances and again we've woven a tale and I think I've forgotten the kernel of what what um fostered this whole Well I thought all the choices were really cool though. What's you that? know just the movies you picked. Oh you said all about get any movies each other. you said movies any anyone you want. Yeah. Cuz you do uh, probably, two baseball movies in a row That which, wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. People didn't think that was a very good idea on my part but I but they were undeniable to me. They, yeah. were just, they were just undeniable. And I, and I believe I'm a script guy and I don't believe in the elements. I believe in the script. And you so when get, you read the Bo Durham script, you must've gone nuts. No, it was, it was, it was, uh, we didn't change a word. Yeah. I've had about 10 scripts like that where we really? didn't change a word. There was just probably maybe, maybe eight more than most people but they're always manipulating them. I've read some, I've been a part of some things that just didn't change because they were, written and written and rewritten and I guess that's what written and written means too. Yeah. You can need to catch me if you, if you can. We'll edit that out. But the idea of doing anything I want, yeah, I, and, and I remember, so I postponed dances and then I got, now those two movies were over and now I was prepping this movie, couldn't get the money, found nine million bucks overseas. Both movies, two American movies I made, uh, Open Range and, and, um, Dances with Wolves, I couldn't get them made at first here. And the first money came from overseas. Dances did, Open Range What's did. crazy is you couldn't get Dances made. You'd had like seven hits in a row. Yeah. It was, they didn't want to make it. So it was like, okay, I'm going to make this. What so were what, they just thinking? Like that, like, no, we're 18, well, I, well, 1800s the, Well, here's the problem. The problem was me because I did tell them that it was going to be long. I told them ahead of time. I said, it's going to be three hours. I told everybody because I went through the system twice. Uh, finally on the last one at Warner Brothers when they said we'd really like to do this but the when he did the subtitles and I and they go we, we it's going to be long it's going to be three hours and it's going to be subtitles we'd really like to do this with you Kevin but we really we don't think we can and two guys who are my friends to this day and were really helpful in my career they said no to me and I said just before I walked out the door I was in with Jim Willis my partner I said oh I probably should let you know about one other thing and they said well, what's that? I go, I, I was going to have, I need, need to have final cut. And, and I got up and walked out 
And as I walked out, my producing partner, if that was the door and this big round table and Warner, but as soon as we got on the other side of the door, and I used this for inspiration in, in 13 days, actually, uh, as soon as we got outside the door, the door shut and he goes, what was that about? Yeah. And he had to talk like that because everyone thinking, what was yeah. that about? And I go, what was what about? He said, the final cut thing. Yeah. Why would you say final cut? And I said, well, didn't you hear him? And he goes, what? And he goes, they, they don't know that the subtitles are really important to the sense of humor. I said, Did, and they don't know that the length is really not intentional. It's just how long the story goes. I said, how can I let my film go to this place if we don't have final cut? Yeah. And then we walk down the hall. I mean, you had there's 17 ways that film could have gone wrong if you didn't have Final Cut. Right. They could have said, like, hey, we took out a half and hour. Listen, it all could have gone wrong with me because I was the only one that could ruin it once I decided to make it because yeah. I had a great script. Now I'm thinking, this is a great script, I'm, but I don't have a lot of experience here. So, you know. Um, and I you would, had to also be the lead actor in it. What's that? You had to be the yeah, lead actor yeah, yeah, yeah. and direct it, which yeah, exactly. I'm always amazed when anyone can do that. That's yeah. just really hard I don't to know. remember what you're performing. Bill Hader's, yeah. I'm friends with Bill Hader, who's doing that now with Barry, where he's directing a lot of the episodes, he's writing them, but he's also performing in it. And he said it really took him a couple episodes just to figure out how to just become these different people yeah. on the set, where I'm I'm in charge, but now I'm acting. My problem was I, I, I give myself too few takes. I kind of like do it. And then I start to move on. And, and finally, my producing partner says, you need to give yourself more takes. You're just... You're not you're not rushing anybody else except yourself. Oh, that's interesting. You know, you're you know, don't rush yourself, you know. And so I, you need like an offensive coordinator to just get you to get get to do a second said, take. Give yourself another, you know, whatever. Do you do you know, don't rush yourself. Cause I was like, sometimes the scene wasn't over and I go, That's great, we got that. And it was like I realized the camera was on me. I'm looking at everybody else. Well, you also you'd hit this point, and I want to go backwards and talk about the two baseball movies in a second, but you would hit this point heading into that movie where people were like, ah, fuck this guy. He's going to direct a three-hour Western, yeah. and you could— Well, none of them knew it was going to be three hours, but they were saying, fuck this guy. For he, some reason— He's going to direct and, it? And, and that, goes back to, wait, that goes back to your core question. You said, could you do anything you wanted? What happened was right after Field of Dreams and, and uh, Revenge, I get offered Hunt for Red October. Oh, and I, seriously? And, yeah. And I, oh, you'd I, been good in that. And I had to say no, because—and they go, what? And Mace Newfield, who I got— uh, no way out made. He was the guy, but that movie wasn't getting made. It was in turnaround. He was the producer of, of I think of uh, Hunt for Red October, and they said to pay me five million dollars. That was like four million dollars more than I'd ever been paid. It was also That's I was like also thirty now. I was also in the hole. Yeah. Um, with having put my own money in uh, dances, so I'm thinking to myself. Yeah, I'd like to do Hunt for Red October too. I'd yeah. like to have $5 million. I get it. But I gave my word I'm doing this movie. And that set off some weird drum wall that I turned my back on that. And now I'm out there doing some movie that's just going to tank. That started the drum roll from somewhere. I don't know who did it, why, but it was me being arrogant enough to say no to $5 million. But I wasn't saying no to that. I would have suggested that 100,000 times. But I had already said yes to something else, and I wasn't. Post- I didn't realize you put your own money in Dances right. Wolves. Yeah, most yeah. people try not to do that. Well, I, I know. I, I listen. I'm. I like it. I'm a big bet on yeah, myself, guy. Yeah, one more good deal, and we're both out of business. <laughs> right. probably. probably. You know, I've had to do that, and I did that there. I mean, that movie cost sixteen million dollars. Yeah, it was a lot, but I didn't have to put in sixteen. I put it's up- funny that era of 
so late 80s, early 90s was this era of movie coverage. You had Premiere Magazine. Yeah. Spy Magazine was out there. You had New York Magazine was writing about stuff. It was, And I remember reading all this stuff being in college. And it was the first time I was aware of, like, the different narratives, not never knowing what was true. And one of the, I remember reading about, like, Costner's making this Western. Yeah. He's directing it. Yeah. And P, I remember, like, the kind of snark yeah, that came it, with it. And, yeah. and then it became, obviously, but I didn't way bigger hear, than I, the, the good news was I didn't hear about that till I came home. I was out in South Dakota for 108 days. Jesus. Most movies are, like, 50, 60 days. Well, I was—this movie was taking it, you know. It was like I had to— you know, I had to, you know, I only went like 3% over budget, even though I went over all those days. You've really been in a lot of states. Yeah. You like, you've been Iowa, South Dakota, yeah. Colorado. You, yeah. you probably have the most interesting map of where you film <laughs> movies. Well, if you do a sequel, you go to the same state. <laughs> you know, if you do those things, you're going to end up in the same places. But I, you know. I've Wait, been, go back. Let's go backwards a second to uh, Bull Durham. Yeah. Was Crash Davis... How much of Crash Davis was Crash Davis, script Crash Davis, and how much of it was Kevin Costner taking the Crash Davis DNA? And- yeah, well, Ron, Ron, Ron split that up. But, but the point was I never changed the dialogue. Because it always felt like that was like kind of alternate universe Kevin Costner in that movie. No, like if it, you had just been a minor league baseball player, that was Yeah. It. Well, you know, the one, the one thing I got from Bull Durham, I bought that car. Did you really? That, I have in my garage. That green, that green shell. Seriously, Cobra. seriously, I, 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 I got. That. Put that thing on eBay. You could, you could make hunt, hunt for it October too. Just fund some, it yourself. You could make some dough. That's so funny. Yeah, I wonder what that thing is worth. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, especially if it's the Bull Durham car. Yeah, it is. I would say that's worth like seven hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. That won't make a movie these days. No, nah, <laughs> it's, it's indie. <laughs> <laughs> it won't make a movie, but. Shelton, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's this toughest guy you'll ever want to meet. And he's just got this heart of a poet. And, uh, you know, he went, he played against, uh, he played with Gritch and Baylor and the, and the Baltimore yeah. organization, but, you know, he was always kind of writing in the back of the bus and, um, and he wrote that, he wrote that thing and it was just letter perfect. And it was, um, it was, I, you know, like Field of Dreams. I knew that was great. But no one was going to make that either because I'll tell you what happened. We tried to make it. We were like a couple of hookers on Santa Monica for <laughs> a month trying to – I was going to everybody. I didn't go to Orion where I'd already made two movies with. Why? Why not go there? Well, there was a couple of reasons. One, they had two other baseball movies. They had Dangerfield's The Scout. And they had eight oh, men yeah, out. That didn't work. Eight, eight men out was good. And but the point was, they're not going to take on a third movie. So I didn't want to kind of push my yeah. friends into it. I thought, oh, so we went around, and um, no one would do it. No one would do it. Uh, finally, Fox was going to do it, but they it, they'd do it for four million. That's what they we it needed six million dollars to make this movie, but they had worked it so low that Ron was just looking at me. Then I get offered uh, Everybody's All-American, which I really liked. And I said to Ron, I go, Ron, we, you know, I, I, I like this movie, um, although it changed. And, and I, there was parts of it that I didn't like anymore on paper. But I wanted to do Everybody's All-American. But I said, I'll stick with you, but we can only go through this a little bit more. So we still didn't have any success. I decided I called the guys at Orion. I said, listen. Uh, this is a baseball movie. I said, it's Thursday. I said, it's great. 
Uh, I know your I know your foreign guy said there's no upside in this movie. Yeah. I said I think it's great, and I said, but you're going to have to tell me tomorrow at noon on Friday. That was Eric Kleskow, the same guy that I talked to about Silverado, right? And about five minutes to noon, he called me and said, we'll do it. And they they took Bull Durham. I mean, that's purely, we want to stay in the Kevin Costner business, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, I, maybe I should have led with that, but I kept saying, the movie's great. <laughs> the movie's great. And they're going, movie, movie. Well, it's it great you know, for you because it was a great part. It's become an iconic sports movie, but more importantly, you got to show off your baseball skills. Yeah, it was, and that was an era where before before that movie, most times when people were in a movie, it was usually an actor they were shoehorning into a sports movie who couldn't actually carry it. Everybody was so impressed; I, like you looked like a catcher. I had a yeah, I had I had a thing happen on you know he went out and cast all the teams and uh, that we would play against, and they were all like double uh, A, triple A players. Yeah, and uh, they all came to the park, Bull Durham Park. And so there was 60 guys up there and, and they were, you know, they were dividing things. Everybody established that they could play, but they were all having hitting practice. And I was really ducking my turn. I was just thinking, Jesus, I, I was just kind of ducking my turn. And it was a big park. Grady Richardson, who actually coached the Atlanta. Yeah. Um, you know, he was the minor league guy and he was in, in So you in, felt like a ninth grader at varsity baseball trial. I just or didn't something. want to go up there. I, you know, I hadn't really even worked out, but I, um, I, I remember finally, I was like, wow. And I, and it finally got to the point where I did and nobody gave a shit who was hitting. Yeah. But when I went up there, I could feel everybody kind of just stop talking. Cause there was 15 guys in right. There was yeah. six guys here or whatever. And, and they're like, oh, here's something comes the big happened. Shot. Something happened that never happened to me before. Number one, I, I went up there. I was really, really nervous. That's not what never happened before, but I was really nervous. And I'm and I remember the first pitch came, and um, uh, I fouled it. Um, I fouled it straight down, but I fouled it, and um, which was which was the inspiration for me to just dribble that ball out and field of dreams. It just dribbled out. Like oh that. yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I remember telling the the director on field of dreams. I said. I said, wouldn't it be better if that I, I said, it's really hard to miss a ball when you throw it up in the air. It's one of the hardest things to do is miss something on purpose. I can drop something, legitimately drop it, but to drop something on purpose, you, even Olivier can't do that. Yeah. It looks like you dropped it. I said, but if I hit the ball and it went, as, as the guy playing with Shoeless Joe Jackson, you want to hit it out there for him. You really want to, think. and I, I, so I said, rather than miss it, what if I top this ball and it just dribbles out six feet where I have to go get it. And he goes, you can do that. And I said, yeah, I, I play street ball a lot. I can yeah. do that. So I did that. That was the inspiration. But that same thing happened to me right there in Bull Durham. I take a swing and I hit it. And where I should have been humiliated, I wasn't. I was thinking, shit, man, at least I, okay. I just, I, Cut tipped, some wood on I tipped, I just, I just tipped it. And it was like my first cut. I tipped it. So the second pitch, I hit what only could be termed as the softest line drive you'd ever want to see. It just had no, nothing on it. It kind of- A number. Would, it wouldn't even have bent the grass if it hit it. But it went to the shortstop out there. There was three or four shortstops because everybody was hanging out. He just kind of put his glove up and it was kind of limply. <laughs> it had nothing on it, right? And I stepped out of the box and I go, what is wrong with you? Yeah. The same talk I had with myself in college that I'm going to do this. I'm going to take control of my life. I had right there. I really? Said, I said, I'm the only guy here who has a job. 
Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm making over a million dollars. I'm the only one here who has a job. And I stood back in there and something happened that never happened before and didn't really happen that day. I hit it over the fence at like 365. Wow. I'd never hit a home run in organized baseball. In all the baseball I ever played, I was never a home run hitter. I had a couple in the side the park. Never hit one in Little League, in Babe Ruth, in high school. Never hit a home run. I'm 28 years old, 29 years old. I hit my first home run right in front of all these guys. And then you have to act cool. Well, I I was. I didn't have to run. If I had to run, I'm yeah. Not, but I hit a home run. That's and amazing. My And I've, I've had these kind of moments in sports, and that was a moment. Yeah. So that was it. You had the confidence after that. Yeah. Well, I had the confidence when I had the talk. It wasn't the hit that did See, it. Are you, are you taking notes, Kyle? This is what you need to do. You just think, take deep breath. Remember who you are. The talk was Next the time thing. you play sports. The talk was yeah, the thing. Yeah, self-talk. Okay, that thing was what everybody else saw. Yeah. Me driving down the freeway after getting the part in Big Chill, my career had changed. Yeah. In the freeway, it had changed. I know when I talk to you about when the momentum of something changes, you feel it. Yeah. I, when I had that talk, I was, that's where it happened. The swing was what the swing was, what the world gets to see. But it's not always defining who you are. Did you click with Susan Sarandon right away? Pardon me? Did you click with her right away? Yeah. The interesting, does that, how does that work with actors? Well, let like me, sometimes well, it's let there. Let me tell you what. You want to see a heavyweight fight? There was a heavyweight fight there. And I'll tell you what it was. This part was as good as Crash's part. Yeah. That her part was as good as Crash. Nuke had a fabulous part. But but that was a that was a career changing part for someone. And it came down to two actors. And I'm not going to tell you who the other one Oh come on. No, it's I been can't. 30 years. No, I can't because because the reality is it broke my heart because I knew and the person went up for it was really good. Yeah. Really good. Sexy, smart actress. And I thought these two women both if you were a beginning actress, you don't even stand a chance against them because what was on the line there was a second half of a career. Yeah. A second career. And Sarandon came in and Ron had to choose between two great actresses Ugh. and Sarandon got it. And I, I, she was- And I you're mean, right. It, it's her next eight years of her career. But, were... but it's so weird. Everybody's looking at who got it. And for some reason, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking of the other actress. Ugh. I'm thinking- because Sarandon went on a Sean Connery run. Yeah. Like what happened, you know, where's, where's uh, Sean after Bond or something? She was always a great actress. She had a really great career. There's this like little middle ground. And then Bull Durham came along and she just showed everybody who she was for the next 25 years. Yeah. That was that big a role. And so I kind of go through this business looking sometimes not at what everybody else is looking at. Well, she's somebody look who won. I'm looking, I'm looking at like, look who lost what. Yeah. You know what I mean? I see a different narrative a lot of times in what I see. She's somebody that almost like an athlete was like a lottery pick. Like she had been in a couple of really good movies a little bit earlier. And then as sometimes happens with actresses, sometimes you get a couple of the wrong parts. There's less parts in it's general. A, it, yeah, and, and she and was, you can go five years and not have a good exactly. part. Exactly, but that was a that was a that was a complete. So I'm always cognizant of that. You know, when I'm giving parts, that you change lives. Because remember Atlantic City with Burt Lancaster? Yes. Like she was like you would you left that movie. You're like all right, she's a star. That's and then, right. 
sometimes you don't get the part for a and, while. Um, but she, that girl uh, was like, felt like a best friend. Can you explain the Tim Robbins throwing motion to me? So he did he throw out his arm? What happened? It's the no, flaw listen, of the movie. Listen, he he you know I, you know I don't think it's just hard to buy that he's throwing ninety nine miles no, an hour. No, no, of course not. Yeah, of course not. You see that perfectly. But that's that's what's so interesting about sports. And yeah, about thing because understand something, Olivier. If he can't really pitch, he might be the greatest actor that ever lived. He ain't gonna make it in yeah. a baseball movie. And and even the non-athlete can look at somebody who is not an athlete and can tell. There's something undeniable about that. Tim played the role, but you can't really always fake baseball. You just can't yeah. do it. It's 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 a, it, there's a reality thing there. But Ron totally supported him, and he was everything we needed him to be. But it, but it, but but you're not wrong about you know you know what you what you see or what you saw you can't it's hard to throw 90 anyway I'm, i threw 84 would you throw in for love of the game what were you 84 hitting? that was 84 well you were older then though yeah were you really were you 40 at that point you must have been yeah, i was over 40 I yeah think. ricky green was the umpire he's the one that told me ricky was a, a national he was a a, a a professional baseball um ref yeah and uh, umpire and um i happened you know, I, I'd tried to be careful with all those young guys because they were out of the farm system too. I, I had brought my uh, friend Augie Garrido in to play the manager of the Yankees. Yeah. And then he would also go pick the other athletes that would play in the movie that weren't, have, didn't have really speaking roles. So Augie came and, 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 and he did all that. And I was real conscious because a lot of these guys, you know, had an opportunity at careers. You know, and the last thing I needed to do was hit them because I was getting revved up in front of a crowd and throwing and hitting them. How many and, people at the at those at for love of the game? Did you? Ha how many extras were? They in probably the three or four thousand, five thousand. Sometimes maybe not that. I mean, I don't. We moved them around. Yeah, there's a couple of stories there that you can't believe. Maybe I will get to. <laughs> but anyway, with with that thing, I never. I was throwing about two, 300 pitches a day for about 18 days. It's one of the great pitching performances in the history of baseball. And I, I don't was, know how you didn't blow your rotator cuff I out. I was in pain. And Rich Hilly Davis came back, and I was I was in a thing. He goes, good God, what's happened to this guy? He just came back from the World Series. And I was in there, and, and the blood was pumping at my heart on everything. And I finally just vomited. The pain was so great. And Chili goes, what are you guys doing? And they were doing everything wrong. We ended up getting the manager, the actual trainer for the Yankees. And I hope I'm not talking out of school here, but the reality was this guy came to my rescue. I started having to take a little bit of stuff. Yeah. I had to start to take a lot of stuff. Some recovery. At, well, just to get recovery through the drugs. day. Yeah. There's no recovery. You weren't getting suspended. Well, yeah, it's, it's that was my point to yeah. him on the last night, and I'll tell you that story. I used David Cohn. <laughs> and um, so I was throwing that many pitches, and I was also getting kind of juiced up, too. Yeah. And on the last day, we decided we were going, not decide, we knew we were going to do it. We were going to simulate the whole game day into night. Starts in a day, end of night, six cameras, all the same cameras that the TV at that time was actually covering Major League Baseball, all the same angles. So it was like a real, real game. I actually think it's some of the best baseball footage ever done by in a the, sports movie. And by that time, thanks. And by that time, um, everybody knew the game. Everybody knew the pitches. Everybody knew what each batter was supposed to do. But I was going to have to go out and pitch for about five and a half hours, six hours. 
And so I get the trainer and I said, You're hey, like man. Like Cy Young in the 1800s. I, I, said, I said, I got him and I said, hey, look, what if you had a player who was never going to play again? David Cohn, this is his last game. You needed yeah. the game. You didn't want to do certain things, but David says you need to do it. I need to do this thing. I said, I'm not going to get through this. And I said, whatever we've been doing, how this dose has been going up, yeah, we have to, we have to go higher. I said, I have to, I have to, you know what I have to do now, because he didn't even know how a movie worked. By now he'd seen what I'd been going through. I said, I can't get through this. I said, we have to, I said, I need a couple green ones. I need the blue ones. And I said, I need one that you haven't brought out yet. <laughs> I need whatever you haven't brought out yet. That's what Kyle's taking later. And because this is in the day. And I looked at him, I was serious. I said, I need to do this because I can't not go anywhere. There's six cameras. We're going through the night. And Steve looked at me and he's like, okay. And so we took him, um, he put a bunch on my arm, wrapped my arm, was going to start in the daylight, and I start to go up the steps. And the last thing he says to me as I'm walking up that steps, he said, you're going to growl at a few people. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how hyped up am I going to be? But that was his words to me. I'll never forget him. You're going to growl at a few people. And I remember that scene where I almost hit that guy. Yeah. Um, in the one pitch, I, I, you know, I almost blow the perfect game by throwing at him, you know, and he starts complaining. I come off that mound. I was like, <laughs> if you ever look at that thing, it was like he said something. I don't know what something snapped me. I came about 15 yards or 10 yard, 10 feet down the mound. When you're, when you're dead serious about something, you walk off the mound and you're like, <laughs> You know, Augie's like, you know, I mean, this guy's getting world-class athletes to come to Texas, you know, it's like, yeah. and it's like, it is what he is, but um, it's just what it was. It's just what it was. And I never had a, a better time. And, 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 and in fact, I had this one crazy moment in that game uh, where the cameras, like you asked how many extras were, we moved them around and those extras out there, they were outrageous. They had gambling going on. They had prostitution going on because they were there all night long. The, you know, they, they use cardboard cutouts to make the crowd look bigger. They'd cut holes down where their deal was. Oh and they God. would be there and their deal would be out, you know. And, you know, no one really know it, saw it, but the, I, that's what they were doing. Jesus. They were out of control. There were people that basically said, hey, do you want to make 150 bucks?" And on anybody in the street, and they would go, yeah. <laughs> and they were the ones that were in the stand. And I had been really good to them really good to these people. I was throwing balls in there constantly. I fungoed them up. I'd throw it up into the upper deck to them. Ball. I was doing all this stuff. I was a little bit cranky too. And, and other people were stiffing them, but I, for 18 days, I kept those people happy. I really did. And now for whatever reason, um, in the simulated game, I think it was that night, might not have, I think it was, a guy hits a, 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 a big pop fly uh, down the third base line between the dugout and the line. And 
I start to move on it because I just, you know, you just move on a ball and big leagues, they let the third baseman get it. They let the catcher get it. I kind of went this way and um, none of those guys go after it. And now I'm kind of in this middle ground. So I just kind of run over a little farther. And now I'm about 10 feet from the dugout and, and all the crowd happened to be right there. They weren't over here. They weren't over here. They weren't, they were right there. I catch the ball and it's like, you know, I get, I, I, I get a little tennis clap because I catch it. I'm the, I shouldn't, it's not going to ever be in the film because, um, it wasn't, it wasn't part out, yeah. of that guy, that batter's thing. So I start walking back. And as I walk back, somebody in the crowd says, you know, you know, and there was something in me. They, like they shut, they yell the, yeah. Fuck yeah, you, really a, yeah. 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 And it was like, I was almost stepping over the line, like Burt Lancaster go back and pitch. And I stopped and I turn around and I walked right back to these 5,000 people who all kind of go, what's going on? Because they heard the guy say that. Now I'm right at the base of the dugout, and I go, I said something like, um, so, yeah, yeah I, said, I said, you know, and everybody was like really quiet. And then it was kind of like a bummer to the whole thing, 18 days, and I go, you know, you know, never quiet. Now I turn to go back to the mound, and they all turned on me really bad. <laughs> now I'm like, you know, if this was a Coliseum, it's like, oh my God, Billy Chapel, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, fucking Billy Chapel. And I'm thinking, I'm walking back and I go, why did I even go over there? What the hell did I do? 18 days just like washed out, fuck you, Billy Chapel, fuck you, you know, that whole thing going on. And I'm thinking, wow. So I get back on the mound and look over there. I throw it, same thing happens. Big pop fly, a major league pop fly right over in that same place. I take off running again there. I'm not even thinking. Now the third baseman catcher, they don't move either again. Now I'm in the middle ground. I really can't back out. The ball's coming down. They're going, fuck you, Billy Chapa. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm right here in front of these people again. And I go, catch it behind your back. And I think, I can't do that. I haven't done that since high school. Just catch it behind. And if I do that, they're going to be miserable. Catch it. I put my hand behind my back. And the ball went in. It went in to the glove. I kid you not. Ten feet from this crowd, right at, at the thing. I don't even know why I did it because my chances of being humiliated were way yeah, greater yeah, yeah. than catching it. I'm just telling you. But it was that. It was that ten second. It was that talk in college. It was that thing. You got a job at Bull Durham. Get up there, and it's like, you know, whatever. I go, just do it. And I went like that, and it went in. <laughs> The oxygen went out. No one said a thing. I catch the ball. I just look at them. Look at that guy. I turn around. I walk back. And all the crowd turned on him and go, fuck you. That's Billy Chapel. You fucking, you're a, you know, they're calling him these vulgar, vulgar names. Yeah. They just turned on this guy who was like this. And I'm walking back. And it could have gone just as. Unbelievable. It was a weird moment. And it was more like, what do you care? Stick your glove out. And it went in. Well, and then they're filming the movie in sequence, basically, and you're actually dying on the mound like Billy Chapel. And then Vince Scully's going, "There's Billy Chapel. Oh he can God. barely throw it." And they're cutting to you, and you look like you're dying on the mound because you actually are. Bill Vince Scully. When I went to see him do that, he's amazing in that movie. Let me tell you, something. that's kind of his best performance ever, other than like a Colfax no hitter. I went and saw him come narrate, and he narrated the the last inning. Because it wasn't, you know, they didn't do it at that point. And he was down there in Santa Monica, and I went in with the director. 
And the director is like, okay, we're going to want you to do kind of this. And it's kind of like this. Take a look at this. You know, you know, take a, you know, this is, this is how long the ending is. He said, well, let me see it. And so they kind of showed it to him. And it was like probably a seven minute sequence or whatever. Yeah. And Vin goes, okay, well, let's just, let's just run it now. Billy Chapel, 40 years old. And he's ad libbing. I'm telling you, he, you know, will he live? Will he go on his life or his life itself? And he said, don't tell anybody that 40 doesn't believe it. He, he's like going there, right? He gets, he gets to the end and he looks at the director and goes, you know, how was that? And, and, and we're like, like, how was, was like, and the director, I remember Sam Raimi looked at and he goes, that, that was unbelievable. Uh, and he goes, like, well, do you want to do another one? And, and, and Ben goes, what? And he goes, well, maybe you just want to do another one. And and uh, it was a fair request. But Vin, Vin is like an He's artist. Done. He's sacred. Yeah. It's like, well, what, what? And he goes, well, maybe we'll just get something different. And and Vin goes, of course. And he did it again. And there was these other things that came up. And, um, That's you know, I can't I believe you him, made him do it I again. I met him two times. You know, I, I met him really early in my career before I even maybe had one credit. It was at Lakeside at the golf course. Yeah. And there was a bunch of men out there. And, like, I didn't really play golf. And, and I maybe once a year with the father-in-law. And he was in that thing. You're not going to let me be late for Kimmel, are you? No. What time okay, did you cool. go to Kimmel? Cool. What time? I don't know. I don't care about it's Jimmy 2:30. anymore. I don't care about this Jimmy This is so anymore. much more fun. So, anyway, I'm out there playing golf. And he's in this foursome, fivesome. Maybe I made it odd, but no one's saying anything, right? I mean, they're all playing and I'm just struggling, doing the best I can. But the third hole, I'm just being really quiet. I've known him my whole life and grew up with him. Yeah. And uh, he looks over at me and he goes, it's your putt, Kevy. Put a Y on my name. It's your cut, Kevy. That's never happened before, I'm guessing. My dad. Okay. It's your putt, Kevy. And I went like, he just made me feel so great. And then I wanted him to do this. And then he asked me to speak at his uh, retirement. Which um, you just said yes to immediately. You, no, I said, I, I said, no, no, no. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Did you see it? I did. You weren't in it? No, I, I did. Yeah, I, yeah. I spoke for about 10 minutes yeah. about him. How do you turn that request down? You because can't do that. Because you don't, if you have your shit together, you don't, you think, there's 50 other people that should be talking here. I mean, it was going to be like three people. It was going to be Koufax, me, and Gibson. And I said, I said, there's got to be. Those three I, Hall of Famers. You're asking me. I'm telling you. I said, no. I was turning it down. I said, no. I said, no. There's, you know, no. And it came back with, will you be the MC? And I said, no. I said, if you want a great MC, get Costas. I don't do that either. And they came back and said, no, Vin really wants you to do it. And, um, and I said, well, and they said, well, look, you just get up there and you'll do two minutes. And I said, I said, I'm not your guy. You know, I make three hour movies. I said, I'm not looking to talk long, but if you want me to talk about Vin Scully, I'll talk till I'm done because I'm going to talk for everybody. And they went like Steve Young, no, no, Mike Young. Yeah. When he worked for the Dodgers, that guy was great to me. He said, you do whatever you want, man. You do whatever you want. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, whatever you want. And so I was able to um, talk about him. 
the best thing I've seen you do in that front with the Whitney Houston thing was incredible. Well, that was an interesting moment too. You know, that was a, that was, I've had some interesting moments, you know, that was a, um, you know, that was, that was interesting. It seemed like I had no idea that you guys were close like that. Well, we weren't close like that. Or like that you had a connection. We had a real connection. We had a real connection and it was, it kind of started with the Baptist church and it started with me seeing how, how nervous she was and tired those stories about her makeup and having changed it between the time I say, you're going to be okay. And then she changed her makeup and just, and then looked in the exact opposite way that she would have wanted to look. So I was able to come at that from that perspective, you know. That's an interesting movie. It's aged. It's a very 90s movie. It has one of the great endings of all time. And I don't know. It's it's just different. It's yeah. I don't even know what the 2019 equivalent would be, who the actors would be, but it feel it feels like it belongs you know, to a specific era. That was era. Lawrence Kasdan's first script. Really? Yeah, he that was the first one he sold to Hollywood and, and it sat on the shelf for 16 years. And I said, oh my I'm going to make this movie for you. And roll the dice with Whitney and hope she can act. And she was getting it. I, 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 felt, I felt that she wouldn't be taxed, taxed too much on it, meaning she had to be good, but it wasn't all riding on her. I, you know, yeah. it'd, be like, it'd be like taking an athlete and putting them in the wrong spot where they can't succeed. Yeah. You just go, you, you ask too much. On the other hand, in this, this the way that worked, if we watched her close enough, she would be great. But if we would have tipped the scale and added some more scenes, we she wouldn't have been great. Right. So it was you had to like you have to look at everything and see how it fits. It's like you just you you just have to make you have to you have to win with the team you either create or have. Yeah. And you gotta you have to uh, look at the reality of that. We didn't talk about Field of Dreams, which just had its 30th anniversary. What? Field of Dreams. 30th anniversary was this year. Yeah. We have a podcast that people like called The Rewatchables where we broke it down. That's funny. Um, the Rewatchables. Well, that's like the ultimate rewatchable. Yeah, and it's, yeah. That has certain parts of that movie where we're like, oh, he's going to get James Earl Jones. I'm in. I'm going to watch these next 20 minutes. And it has all these yeah. hits. But It's not a gun. It's funny to the watch. Fingers a gun. <laughs> I mean, it's such a good movie. What's interesting about it is it belongs to this era when we still believed everything good with baseball. And then over the next era with the, you know, you hit the late nineties, they had the strike, the lockout. Um, Didn't think about that. And actually. then you have the steroid era. I, didn't, I never thought about that way. And then it's like, cause James Earl Jones says that speech about baseball is a part of us amongst the time. And yeah, he does the whole thing, but it's good. and could always be good. Yeah. And it's, so you watch that now in that prism and it's like, Oh, remember when we felt this way? I didn't. It's think so adorable. Yeah. Yeah. But that Gil, movie. Gil Hodges, these these names. You know? Yeah, Mickey Mantle. Never thought of him as like anything other than just like yeah. the handsome center fielder on the Yanks. You know, um, I, uh, I heard that Ron Shelton um, um, was in the airport and he, and he saw Mickey Mantle. And um, he told me this story. And uh, I forget who told me this story, but he sees Mickey Mantle. And he goes, he goes, Ron, did you go up to him? He goes, no, no. I mean, that's sports guy. No, I don't do that. You yeah. Know, I, the old school is just what it is. No, I don't. Who would could love Mickey Mantle any more than somebody like Ron? Yeah. But no, no, no. And he goes, you should have. He was on Letterman last night. 
And our, I think that's how the story went. I said, "What do you?" He goes, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "He's on Letterman, and 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 I could be getting this all wrong, but there, but this is what you know." Ron told me. He says, and he was going off about the movie Bull Durham, and 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 he said something like Letterman was trying to. Well, no, it's funny, and he goes, "No, it's sad." Because no, it's funny. You know, Dave was. Yeah. And finally, then Dave, I guess, didn't try to turn him. He goes, "Well, what do you mean?" Because he had a lot of deference to athletes in a way. Yeah. He really did. He, I mean, he, he, he didn't suffer fools, but he also, he also wouldn't try to make Mickey feel weird. Yeah. And, um, and he goes, no, that was sad. And what do you mean? He goes, well, that, that guy could really hit. And he goes, he goes, there's a lot of players that never made it into the national league. They just sat behind guys and organizations just kept him. And uh, especially in his era in his era. And, and I, and I know part of the reason that, that, that Ron modeled crash Davis was, it was a player that, uh, sat behind Brooks Robinson and, uh, won the triple crown in the minor leagues, like five years in a row. Right. And so, and, and they weren't going to give him up. That guy now, you know, is like, you know, they're, did you, did you think Fielder James is going to work? Yes. I mean, it was super but not, ambitious. But not massively. Yeah, it was ambitious. And for a little movie, it was ambitious for one reason. It was like, I uh, I had a real short intake of breath when I said, Dad, can we have a catch? I had to remember that moment forever because that's how I make decisions about, am I going to do a movie? And I go, yeah. if we can get to that moment and take that moment where the hair on the back of your neck stands up and where you 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 begin to weep, and you don't even know why. That means we're going to have to do all these scenes that are almost dopey. Yeah. Correctly. They're dopey. But we didn't try to wink at it. That was It was real. It was that way. And, as, and that's what made that movie dangerous, hard, because it always bordered on dopey to begin with. Yeah, he's like a borderline lunatic. And, 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 then, it's, and, then, and then that's your big ending? That's yeah. your big ending? Let's have a catch? And uh, Phil Robinson, you know, I get so much credit for this, but Phil Robinson was the guy who wrote that, adapted. I would never would have done that movie based on a pitch. I did it based on the script, and I knew the script had gold dust on it. I didn't know, obviously, that it would become part of the vocabulary. I didn't know that 30 years later it would it would find its way into the hearts of people the way it did. But it found its way into my heart, and that's why I challenged Ray Stark on Revenge and said, I'm going to do this movie in the corner. Yeah. You know, we had a, like an eight-minute argument when we did the Rewatchables pod about why they didn't carry the choking little girl onto the baseball diamond so Burt Lancaster didn't have to become Burt Lancaster again. Why didn't— So she's choking. Moonlight Graham has to decide whether he wants to you cross need the that line long to help. Walk. You need that long No, I know. Walk. That's where we settled down. But I you was need, like, couldn't yeah. he just carry her on the field? Then he could have yeah, stayed in the yeah. game? No, it's a good point. <laughs> you, you just, you know, and listen, movies are filled with those moments. And— uh only the best of them, you know, you're doing it honorably when you're laughing at it. Yeah. Yeah. But just <laughs> Especially about, if you see it 30 times. should be doing times. handsprings in no time at all. Right, right, right. You know, he struggled. You had a couple it, scenes with he, him. He struggled in an iconic scene. And uh, he was struggling that last night. He says, is there enough magic up there for you? Round third, wrap your arms around yeah. the things. He was struggling that night. And struggling because he's old or? Whatever it was. He yeah. couldn't get the lines. He was struggling. And he was getting embarrassed. And it was at night, it was, and, and it didn't look like he was going to get it. 
and he and he and he went over and he, he kind of whispered that he was kind of hoping that I would leave the set because I think he was embarrassed. Oh, interesting. And I said, no. I said, this is almost perfect. We've got it. We've got it perfect. Yeah. I just said, and I'm staying right here. This is fantastic. And the director hung in there and Bert finally did it. Man, this guy really talked with his hands. Yeah. Son of a raptor. You know, a lot of actors, they say he was very histrionic. Yeah. He would use his hands and he, and he hit it and I knew it was perfect and I wasn't going to go anywhere. So now I'm right here. We're going to getting through that, you know. So, you know, t tell me, Mr. Kinsella, is there enough magic in the air? One of the things in the research was you had like 10 minutes to film the final scene with the way the light was and all the cars and the guy you, you're throwing to your dad and he's got some glove from like 1910. Right. And he's got to catch everything in this like car. And he's kind of, it was kind of, <laughs> I'd say, in the Tim Robbins Thing, yeah, vein of, th of things. If didn't you have a great throwing great throwing motion. It was a catch it and bring it down and and, and, and incredibly um, and has carved out a great career over that movie. He, I read his book. He wrote a book. Yeah, uh, about it, Dwyer Brown, and I had no idea how the hardships. But he has he has traveled the country the last twenty years, thirty years talking, and he's a, and he deserves every bit of it because he's such a humble guy. But he's that career that that moment for him, he has made the most of it, and not in a, not in a exploitive way. It's just he's had a hard up. Yeah, and I'm so glad it was him now. You know that was another one of my nitpicks after seeing the movie 800 times. How does Ray not realize sooner his dad's the catcher? What's that? How does he not realize sooner that oh his dad's God, a catcher? You, you've just spent too they much this, time on I know. This, this movie. is the whole point of the rewatch. You're, you're, you're like, <laughs> this whole point of this interview five they're years playing, later. They're playing they're a five Pinning five me game. back with my ears. He can't. He, he can't. He doesn't realize his dad's going, a catcher. He, they're not, Come on, Ray. Bill has thought more about this than you have, <laughs> Kevin. And it's clear. This is the point of that podcast. You know. What, what, Wait, we got to do ten. You're quick. seeing what is what is what is what is what is uh um uh um. James L. Jordan saying, you're seeing an army of therapists, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no question. That's to you. <laughs> You've broken this down so beautifully. Look, what, that's the, I that had movie's trouble. been out for 30 listen, years. I, you know, listen, I got flacked about Leota not being hitting left-handed. I remember that. It was like, and I, you know who I had out there, it, as it, they had out there for um, the uh, consultant, the baseball consultant, Rod Dato. Really? Yeah, Rod was out there, and uh, hey, Tiger, you probably met him. That's that's he called everybody Tiger, and you know he was like, oh man, Kevin, me and you are both going to get killed for this him hitting right handed. I said, I got it, I got it, and I got it. But you it, know what they would do now? Over, they would just flip the the mirror. They would yeah. just flip the mirror, flip and you'd never mirror. know. Exactly. Or they would do some CGI thing or something. I'm surprised you weren't drilling me on that one. No, because that's already been. People it, it, know that it one. It beat me up on that. No, that people know that one. I love. I love the. We had to give. I love the. Why not just carry the child out? Because in a real, in a real movie, you would do that. But in this thing, we needed and no, that you, music you killed him us. Across the line. Oh my God! You said don't do it, and it's like, oh my God! You can't go back. Oh my God! We didn't talk about Tin Cup. So you go. You do dances. You do a whole bunch of movies in yeah. the 90s. Yeah. And then you get sucked back. I, we, I You got to leave since, so we got to do, we got to concentrate just on sports movies. No, I didn't know. Cup was the same thing. Um, Cup was, um, you know, I just, I just come out of Waterworld. I just 
come out of a, a, a divorce and uh, I was I was pretty beat up and uh, I said no to Tin Cup. Even though I knew Beat up more from the divorce or from Waterworld well, or whole, both? It, it was hard. It was really 150-day shoot, 57-day shoot. It was a lot. And um, and I I couldn't um, – I, I just – I loved it. But I go, I got to – I said, I'm, I'm just not going to go on to another movie. This is, one of the, this is one of the times where an agent really went – and not even my own agent – went out on a limb and called me. Um, there's a woman over at CA and she says, Kevin, I feel like this is a movie you actually need to do. Yeah. Meet, you know, emotionally get with your friend, Ron, who'll protect you, who will be with you. Get with him. I don't want, I don't want to see anybody else play this guy. And, uh, she was right. She, uh, there was some extenuating circumstances. She, she, she understood what I said. She came at me like a really soft backboard, and I was able to wrap my arms around going off and do that movie. And I'll be forever thankful. Um, you know. Do you stand by the thirteen to end the movie? Was it a thirteen? What's that? What did, what did he? What did Roy have on the last hole? Third, twelve. A twelve. I always thought that should be our poster: greatest twelve in history. <laughs> <laughs> greatest 12 in it's history. funny i didn't like it the first time i saw it that it ended with the 12 because i just assumed he was going to win we're conditioned the hero's going to win the sports movie but no. now i'm glad it played out the way it did the 12 was better glad you turned around on that you have to go well you just have to come back another time this was fun though right this we have so many other things we could uh, talk yeah, about yeah I, the uh when I come is this back, your first podcast have you no, done I one did, before i did one i did one one others one who other. Um, my, this is bullshit. No, no, it's, um, God, I'm dropping it. It's a friend of mine. Oh, well, this is Jimmy Kimmel's best buddy. Uh, they, they did the man. Thing. Oh, Corolla. Steve, oh, that's right. I wasn't Adam. mad about that. Yeah, Adam, yeah. No, I've had Adam out to the house and I, yeah, I, I wasn't, just, I, I wasn't really, mad. You guys like cars. Like there's, yeah. Well, he likes cars. When I told him I had the car, I don't know cars. I yeah. just know I wanted that car. Yeah. Corolla, on the other hand, it goes, and he, that guy is special. I really, I really like he's him. The funniest person I've ever met. I, I, I had him up to the house, and he's like, he's just such a solid dude. Yeah. Um, all right, so you have to come back. This was great, though. I'm glad we finally did this. We yeah. at least did the sports movie. We didn't talk about draft day, but we can do that next time. Because now, now the Browns have basically taken draft day and they made it the real movie. And they, I mean, it's unbelievable. It they went and got Baker Mayfield. They turned it around. It's like yeah. you're the GM. Yeah. First they got. Um, um, it's just a man's hell. Yeah, went, you know they, they. That was the bad version of draft day. But that was that. What that's what draft day avoided. Right. That's what he. Avoided. They didn't obviously didn't watch draft day. Yeah. yeah. So the um, but now it got Baker. But listen, I, we, I will do this. Thank you. All right. This is great. Thank you very much, Kevin Take Costner. Care.